0: I'm going to be reading today out of the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And if you can, um, if you're able to join me right now and if you can remain standing for just another moment, Ephesians chapter 4. We're in a series called Tough Love. Everyone say Tough Love. Tough Love. And God's been speaking to us these last few weeks about love. And we've been looking at love from a different perspective and, and, and how love must be tough must be tough in order to survive, in order for it to work for us and in us. And I want to just read this one verse. It's kind of right in the middle of a a passage where Paul is speaking about the body of Christ and the various gifts that God has given to the body and how the body is built up. But it's just one verse in verse 15 that caught my attention. It says, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Amen. Speaking the truth in love. And that's my thought today. I want to speak today about truth in love. Truth in love. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated in God's presence. You know, one of the most common places where truth needs to be spoken in love is in the place of our relationships And I'm going to jump right into things this afternoon. I have a lot to cover, so I'm going to invite you to uh, lean in on this message, to take notes, to take snapshots of the PowerPoint. There's a lot that I want to deposit into your spirit today because what I'm going to share with you is a message that I haven't just studied for, but I feel like it's a message I've lived. It's a message that I've experienced on both sides of the coin And I've come to realize that as believers, one of the most important ways we can grow and mature as people of God is learning this balance of truth and love. Uh, They are not... Uh, It's not one or the other. It's not like if we want truth and we have to sacrifice love, or if we want love, we have to sacrifice truth. They can coexist together if we learn how to properly uh, move in those areas. And so uh, in our families, this is relevant. In our relationships, this is relevant in almost any setting, even in the church uh, environment. And in the work arena, uh, we can take the concepts that are offered today and apply them. Even in the context of discipleship, when you are working with somebody and you are mentoring them into the things of God and training them uh, to learn uh, the ways of the Lord, uh, the truth and love concept is one that you will find very useful throughout your journey. And the key verse today, just that one verse, uh, it appears uh, once again in this passage where Paul is uh, talking about the building up of the church, the unification. And the edification of the body of Christ. And so what we're speaking about today is very much in line with keeping the unity of the church. Keeping the unity of of not just the church, but our our homes, our marriages. And this phrase, uh, speaking truth in love... What it does is it, I think it offers us a threefold approach to communicating our truth. Now, every now and then, you're going to find yourself in a position where you have to communicate or convey something that is difficult, not only to say, but to receive. If you really care about people, you're going to find yourself in this very predicament. If you don't care about people, you may never find yourself in this predicament. But if you care about people and you care about the outcome of their life, you care about the direction that they're going, you care about that family member or that young brother or sister in Christ or whoever it is, then, then this type of approach is, is very needed. You're going to need this. And so this threefold approach is, it looks like this. I'll give it to you in this snapshot. Um, it, it looks like this. There, he says, speaking of. Truth in love. If we break this down, if I just can lay this foundation for you today, if we break this down, speaking is talking about the method. Paul is saying this is a verbal communication. We're not talking about, now there are many forms of communication, right? Visual, uh, there's body language, there's different ways, there's written communication. He's talking about our mouth, he's talking about the words that we say. And then he says truth, and truth is referring to the message. The, the word or uh, the, the view of scripture on whatever that issue is. The message is God's or the Bible's view on that given subject. And then there is love. So in this phrase, we find a three-pronged approach to communicating the hard truths of God to those that we love. Number one, you've got to speak it. okay You can't just telepathically tell people what it is you want them to know. Amen, somebody. Wouldn't that be nice if you can read? I can't read your minds and people can't read your minds. So we have to use this, this tool that God has given us, our mouth. And it has to be a, a message of truth and it has to be done in love. And when these three components work together, it's, it's very effective. It's very effective in imparting truth, in resolving conflict, in resolving uh, disputes or disagreements that, that as life what happened, it, those things happen, and, and this is very key. So before I share some practical ways, which I plan to do before my message is over on how to speak the truth in love, I'm going to give you some very practical guidelines to speaking the truth in love. Let me first lay some foundation about the power of the tongue and the power of truth. The power of the tongue and the power of truth. So first, the power of the tongue. The Bible says that life and death. Someone say life. Someone say death. They are in the power of the tongue. So your mouth is an instrument. It is an instrument. It is a tool. And it is also a weapon in some cases. And it indicates this verse the influence that our words have on each other. Words are powerful. Amen, somebody. Amen. I said words are powerful. They, they can build up or they can tear down. They can be a source of life or death. They can uh, be an uplifting, uh, uh, an uplifting thing or a discouraging thing. They could do good or evil. They can be positive or negative. But I want to tell you, and this will come as no surprise to any of us today, that humans throughout history have done quite a poor job in utilizing this gift or this tool that God has given us. I don't think that we have properly stewarded and managed this very uh, uh, very influential instrument that God has given us. Why? Because all you got to do is look at history. And how many wars have been started simply by saying the wrong thing? And how many events in history have come to pass simply because of man's ability to use his voice to sway? Persuade or manipulate people into doing things. The voice is very powerful. It can turn the hands of time in one way or another. And throughout history, I just tell you, both religious and irreligious. In fact, sometimes even more in the religious environment, the tongue has been used for more uh, bad than good. Of the seven things that God hates, you can read about it in uh, listed in Proverbs chapter six. There are seven things God says I hate these. You want to know what God hates? Go read Proverbs chapter 6. And almost half of the things that God hates have to do with the mouth. Think about that for a moment. He says, I hate a lying tongue, a false witness, or one who sows discord among the brethren. That's all referring to what we do with our mouths. So of many of the things that God hates and despises are the things that we say. James writes this in James chapter 3 and verse 5. He says, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. That's right. It boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Amen. Can I I just speak my heart today? Is that all right? Amen. Uh, Somebody say, go ahead and tell it today. I've got a little question for you. Can I ask you a question today? I've got a little question. Here is my question. Is your tongue saved? It's a a big question, but it's a little one. Is your tongue saved and sanctified? I'm asking you this question today because your life is no holier than your speech. I don't care what perception or what idea you have in your mind about what holiness is. Holiness is a lot of things. Holiness is anything that pleases God. And we've got to also factor in that one of the ways we measure the holiness or the sanctification of our lives is our mouth. Your life, doesn't matter how you dress, doesn't matter where you go on Sunday, your life is no holier than your mouth. If you can't keep your mouth in control, it doesn't matter how you look, that's how holy you are. It's okay, you can get quiet on me today because I'm coming right down your aisle. Over the years, I've met a lot of spiritual people, and I bet you have too, who couldn't tame their tongues. And you know what it did? It confused me. It confused me, and it made me ask this question, Brother David. It made me ask this question. How can the same Holy Ghost that causes you to speak in tongues in church cause you to cuss out your brother in the parking lot? And some of you are saying, that's never happened to me. Well, come and sit down with me for coffee sometime, and let me tell you, I have had people that have given announcements on Sunday. I'm not going to tell you where it is. It wasn't here, praise God. (laughs) have given announcements on Sunday and chewed me out in the parking lot. And I wonder, how is this the same? How can the same mouth be used to build up and tear down within just a few moments? It made me ask, how can the how can, or what kind of Holy Ghost speaks in tongue, but then badmouths their brother and talks with no respect to each other? How does this happen? You see, James writes this. He writes in verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. It is truly a, a, an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we this is what we do with our tongue. With it, we bless God. We can bless God and the Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the image of God. You got to watch how you speak to people. Why? Because you're not just speaking to people. You're speaking to somebody who is made in the image of God. Woo. And so it's almost like you're speaking to God. I'm not calling them God, but they're made in their image. And out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brother, these things ought not to be so. So before you speak truth and love, you have to know that your tongue is the sign of your spiritual maturity. Your tongue. Someone say my tongue. No wonder God chose the tongue to be the initial sign of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. No wonder God said, if I can just get a hold of that tongue. Hmm. If I can just fill that tongue with fire, if I can just fill that tongue with power, if I can just convert that tongue into something useful and something profitable and something powerful, if I can grab a hold of that instrument that can destroy and use it to build up people and to speak light instead of death, then we can turn this world upside down and then we can make a difference to those around us. Somebody give God some praise today. Hallelujah. So your tongue, your tongue is, it's a reflection of your heart. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth is an indicator of the condition of your heart. Because we simply cannot turn it off. Or eventually we will speak what we are feeling. We will speak what we are thinking. But he says, watch this, in verse 36. We got to go a step further. He says, but I say to you. That for every idle word, every idle word men speak, they will give an account to it in the day of judgment. Do you know this, that God is recording every idle word that we speak and will one day play it back for you in judgment. On the day of judgment, God's going to hit the play button, hallelujah, all the idle words. Now, some of us might be thinking, well, that must mean like bad and curse words. No, no idle words simply means empty words careless words idle words means unprofitable words so it's not just evil words it's not just like bad words it's, it's careless, it's misdirected words, it's inappropriate words, it's words that don't add value and don't build up, it's just those kinds of words. So we really need God to help us in this area so that our mouths, our tongues can be sanctified. Amen. So that when we bless God on Sundays and sing beautiful songs to the Lord that out of that same mouth will flow blessings and encouragement and love and good things to those that we need to reach in our lives. Somebody say amen. So if your tongue is saved then it must become an instrument of truth. And if your tongue is saved that it is no longer your tongue. You see when we get baptized and we surrender our lives, we are converted our whole lives, our body becomes, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say Amen and that includes our tongue. It includes what we say, it includes how we how we use our tongue and our mouth, our speech. It includes this mouth that God has given us. And so, our mouth then has to be surrendered to God, and we must make sure that whatever flows out of our lips, amen, is something that it, it, that is godly, that is uplifting, that it is good. Now, let me let me talk about the power of not just the tongue, but the power of truth. The power of truth. Someone say truth. truth. All right. I'm going somewhere with both of these things, but we need to see the power of the tongue and the power of truth. Truth is the only thing. Let me tell you. It is the only thing that can set a person or a situation free. Someone say truth. truth. That's it. Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So it's the truth that we need to speak. It's the truth that we need to uh, carry with us and and release to others. So speaking the truth in love reminds us of how important it is. Listen, how important it is for us to keep the main thing the main thing. When we are speaking to others, and, and let me put it to you this way. Because it is very easy or we are prone To allow other things to get in the way of truth. And if we're not careful, we can lose sight of the main thing and allow our personal perceptions, our opinions, our egos, our emotions uh, to substitute the truth. And whenever we allow those things, even our personal biases and whatnot, to get in the way of the truth, that diminishes the power of that word. That diminishes what that word can accomplish. It diminishes because it is not our truth that sets people free. It is His truth that sets people free. Amen, somebody. My opinion is not going to set anybody free. My philosophy is not going to deliver anybody. My view on the matter does not move heaven or earth or, or hell none of those things can but it's the truth of God amen somebody that has the power to deliver somebody and liberate and bring freedom into a life that is bound and shackled by sin or depression or loneliness or fear it is true somebody say true It's got to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Amen, somebody. So help me, God, when speaking to somebody with the hopes of changing their lives or their outcomes. We unknowingly sometimes allow our own personal biases to get in the way, but we've got to strip those things down. And that's why we've got to make sure that our minds are stayed on Jesus and that our minds are in the word and that we are regurgitating the things that we have been reading in the word so that what comes out of us it's not purely what we've been thinking or what we've been feeling and I, I gotta get this off my chest no it's not about getting stuff off of your chest it's about what thus saith the lord it's about god's word and it's about gospel how oh, his spirit and his principles It's not about what I have to say. It's not about what what the truth is. And so perhaps we should ask like Pontius Pilate asked when Jesus stood there in his court, what is truth? What is truth? Because how we answer that question will have great implications. How we answer this question, church, can determine whether this message will actually have an effect in our life or not. We need to be able to answer that question, what is truth? What I've discovered in dealing with people is that the greatest problem, this is just years and years of not only being in the church, but years, over 20 years of ministry, I can tell you that the greatest problem is not that people don't know the truth, it's that they don't like the truth. I'm going to say that again because I like that point, praise God. It's not that people don't know the truth, it's that they don't like the truth. Why? Because the truth hurts. Someone say, it hurts. it hurts. Someone say, ouch. <laughs> it hurts. It's not because they don't know it, It's because they don't like it. See, the, even the world knows this. It's not that they don't know what's right and wrong. It's that they don't like it. They don't like it. And us, especially uh, overseers in our homes, in our marriages, in our family, we've got to draw a line in this hour. We've got to make it very clear. We need clarity in this hour on what is true and what is false. What is right and what is wrong. Can I get an amen on that? The truth, the problem is that the truth doesn't fit their perceptions or their feelings. And this is aided by the fact of the world and what it says. This is aided by a world that says that truth is all relative to you. That's called relativism. They say your truth is your truth. Who am I to judge you? That's your truth. This is my truth. You ever heard people talk like that, right? That's your truth. This is my, everybody's got their own truth. That's relativism. What am I, th- truth is just whatever i make it to be. Then there is, there is no truth. That's skepticism. You say, well, there's just, just no truth at all, okay? Or it says, you simply can't know the truth. That's agnosticism. And I can add another ism to that. I can add pluralism, which is saying, everybody's truth is equal. All roads lead to heaven. Hmm? There's a lot of isms that we can go through, but these are the main ones. And we live in a world where these philosophies have, mm, my God, have crept into every arena of society, even into the home. These philosophies have, have spawned some of the most abhorrent and twisted lies that we have ever seen. And now in the year 2023, for example, let me just give you an example of how crazy and messed up this world is when it comes to what is truth, what is is false, what is fact, and what is fiction. In the year 2023, it is controversial to say that a man is a man. It wasn't controversial to say that not even, I don't think, four years ago, five years ago, I don't know, 20 years ago for sure it, was. it is controversial to say that a woman is a woman. You know what the most controversial thing you could say now? Is that a man can't get pregnant. How backwards have we got in our society? That this, and, and, and you know that, that, that if you say that, that a man can't get pregnant, you're, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you're a bigot, you're, you're a this, you're a that. There's no love. No, in order for love to be loved, there's got to be truth in it. Amen. Because if I really love you, then I love you enough to tell you the truth and tell you like it is and tell you what the word of God says and it's not changing for nobody. You can call me a Bible-thumpy Christian all you want, you can say that I'm narrow-minded. You can say that I'm black and white, and that's all right, but the truth is the truth, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Somebody give God some praise today. Hallelujah. Somebody, if you're thankful for the truth, if you're thankful that you've got the truth, why don't you clap your hands? Why don't you give God some praise? Why don't you thank God? I know I am. I will buy the truth and I will sell it not. Hallelujah. Listen, I know I might be preaching to the choir today on some of these things, but we have got to reverberate this, not only in here. We can't just be an echo chamber in the church. we got to clarify these things for our children. My son came home the other day, and he was telling me about some of the stuff that they're talking about in his school. Blew my mind. And I I thank God that I had prepared him enough so that he could tell me, Dad, I know that's not the truth. I know that they're saying that that a young boy, if he decides he wants to be a girl, he can be a girl. And if a girl decides that she wants to be a boy, she can be a boy. And I said, but I know that that's wrong, Dad. I know that's not the way that God created us. And I said, exactly, son. And people might hate you for what you believe, and you might lose some friends, and you might not be popular. But husbands, fathers, mothers, dads, we got to take a stand in our homes and tell our children like it is and give them the truth. Can I just tell you that truth starts at home. I said it starts at home. Truth starts around the dinner table. It starts in the family room. And I come as a pastor every Sunday. All oh, my job is to affirm what you have been teaching in your home. This ought to not be the only place to hear it. I am simply agreeing with you. I am here to pat you on the back. I am here to say, keep talking the truth. It's so important. And I know the things that we say, oh, man, man." oh, pastor, man, he's out of pocket today. He's going, no, this is exactly what we need. We need things to be clear because we live in such a backwards uh, and such a blurred world. And unfortunately, we see even in the church, the lines get blurred. Not here at City Light, Uh, we stand for truth. And we're not just going to stand for it, hallelujah, but we're going to express it with the love of God. Somebody give God some praise right now. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. People or situations are not going to change without truth. And the most important thing to know about truth is that truth is not a something. Truth is a someone. Jesus said, I am the way. Praise be to God. Glory be to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. Hallelujah. Truth is not just an abstract idea. Truth is not something that you can just get in a textbook or, or hear in the lecture halls of your university. Truth is Jesus, and Jesus is truth. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. It's so important that we understand that this is what truth is. And so if, we, if, we, if we're going to speak the truth in love, then we've got to know what the truth is. So I don't like the truth. That comes a kind of, yes, these are difficult things. No, one's, can I tell you, no one said this was going to be easy. You think these conversations are easy to have? Depending on what the nature of the conversation is, depending on what that individual's personal struggle is, these conversations may not be easy. But this is where we have to be in prayer. And this is where we have to be sensitive to God. And this is where we have to be led by the Spirit of God. And this is where we have to be in the Word and not in our opinions so that when we speak these things, it is done so in a loving manner. Because let me give you in these last few moments I have how to speak the truth in love. Now that we have some kind of foundation here today, although brief, but 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 enough to hold this message up on, on the power of the tongue and the power of truth, now let's bring this home. How do I deliver? This truth. Now, how do I implant this truth that is essential to this person's life, my loved one, my friend, my brother, my sister? Because the mistake that a lot of Christians make is they deliver the right message in the wrong manner. And the goal, listen, is not simply to win the argument for the sake of winning the argument. The goal is not to be right for the sake of being right. The goal is to win the person. The Bible says he who wins souls is wise, not he who wins arguments is wise. If you win the argument but you lost the person, you lost. So we need the Spirit of God to help us move us in love because there is a way to do this effectively. There is a way to win the person. And if you win the person, then you win the right to speak into their lives. The only reason why often our words are not received is because we haven't earned the right to speak. Mm. We haven't earned the place in that person's life. And there are three things that James writes about in James chapter 1 that, that he gives us. I, I think these are like a, a prescription of what we can do as Christians. Number one, if we're going to speak the truth of love, be swift to hear Swift to hear, he writes. Let every man, he says, be swift to hear. It's human nature. It's human nature. I think um, most of us would, would probably have the struggle to want to speak before we listen, especially if we believe in our words, especially if what we have, we believe, we hold the answer to whatever this person, this loved one or friend needs to hear. But I have learned this. I have learned that to win someone's heart you must first win their ears. Oh, my God. You cannot win someone's heart until you win their ears. You cannot reach someone's heart until you earn the right to be heard in their life. Someone once said, you may have heard this, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You can have all the answers. You can have everything that they need, and that'd be wonderful. And you'd be every I dotted, every T crossed, and everything is wonderful. But if they don't know or feel that you actually care about them, yeah. hmm doesn't matter what you say. And I've been on the opposite end of that at times. I, I think they mean this in a loving way, you know, like, like I told you about the person who, you know, who chewed me out and whatnot, and that's happened many times, different occasions. And I can just say, you know, I, we, sometimes we go about it all the wrong way. This is all about trust. This is all about trust. Someone say trust. And you earn that trust. You, got, you know how you earn that trust? By taking a vested interest in that person. If the only time you talk to that person is to correct them, that's not a relationship. I'm going to say that again. Ooh, that was good. If the only time you talk to somebody is to correct them, that's not a relationship. They are simply a prisoner and you're the prison ward. And no wonder they don't listen. And no wonder you're pushing them further away. It's, and it's, I've been, I'm praying, I'm doing it, and why don't they Because when's the last time you invested in that person, that relationship, and earned the right to speak to them in a way, those hard things, those difficult things they might need to hear? Have we done that work? Have we laid the groundwork? Have we cultivated that? And and, and have we allowed them to speak? I know sometimes the hardest thing to do is to listen to someone speak and you're like, oh my God, this person is so wrong. You're like, where do I begin? Where do I start, huh, huh, where do I start? And you're just listening, you say, wrong, 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 right in your back of your And you're just biting your tongue, right, you're biting your tongue, you just want to interrupt them and tell them, you know, you're wrong. And even if you disagree with their conclusions, the simple fact that you are letting, you got to have restraint. you got to show self-control and let that person talk and let them say what they need to say. So that when it's your turn to speak into their lives, it may not be in the same conversation. It might be another time later. It might be, you know, two or three weeks later. It might be months later. But then you will earn that chance to tell them, I love you, and this is what God wants me to tell you. And, 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 and I'm telling you right now, whew, Lord, if you get a hold of this, it will activate new areas of ministry in your life. And there have been times, oh, let me tell you, there have been times where I've sat across from people, and they're saying things to me that I know are false, and I, and I want to interrupt them, and I want to just say, man, I want to just jump right into it and, and say what I need to say, but I bite my tongue because you know something? The Holy Ghost has taught me how, how to keep my mouth shut at times and just listen. And I think that that's the reason, maybe one of the reasons why God gave us two ears and only one mouth. So maybe we would listen twice as much as we speak. Let others speak. Active listening is a lost art because everyone, have you noticed? Everyone just wants to be heard. You ever been in a room where everyone's talking and nobody is listening? And I think that that is what people are looking for. They're looking for for a church that listens. Woo! Come on now. They're looking for for somebody, a a strong saint, a seasoned saint in God, somebody who's got a prayer life, somebody who's in the Word, who will listen. Don't just preach at me because I I know it's coming, but but listen to where I'm coming from. Listen to my struggle. Listen to my problem. And this brings me to the next uh, point of advice, which is to be slow to speak. Being swift to hear is about trust. Being slow to speak is about timing. James says, let every man be slow to speak. Just give me a few more moments of your time. I'm almost done. Here. He says, be slow to speak. He he, he doesn't mean uh, speak slowly. (laughs) Do you hear the words that are coming out? He's saying... He's talking about speaking it in the right time. Amen. Amen. Speaking it in the right time. The command to be slow to speak is not one of hesitation, but of preparation. Time and space allow you and allow that word of truth to be bathed in prayer. Hmm. Have you prayed about what you're going to tell that person? Lord. have you meditated on it because not until you have prayed and meditated on it have, has now it's in its purest form hmm. now it had, that word has been purified and what you speak has been fully ba- is it fully baked in your spirit Oh hallelujah look at what proverbs 15:23 says a man has joy by the answer of his mouth. But a word spoken in due season. Someone say, in due season. Oh, how good it is. Focus on that part. A word spoken in due season. There is a season. Let me tell you, friend. For every word that you speak, there is a season for it. There is a season for every spoken word. And oftentimes the impact of your words are not determined by what you say, hear me today, but by when you say it. Not what you say, but when you say it can determine the effectiveness of that word. You might have the right message for someone, but listen, they won't receive it. If it's spoken in the wrong season. I have sat across from people before, and there have been things I've been wanting to tell them. And I just think to myself, as much as I want to tell them, they're not ready to hear it. Amen, somebody. You ever felt that way? As much as I want to tell them, they're not ready. And how many times has somebody told you something you weren't ready to hear? But when the word comes at the right time, when you're ready to grow, when you're ready to receive, often after you tried for yourself and you failed, that's usually when people are ready. I found out I didn't know it wasn't that smart. I found out I should have. And now they're ready, and guess what? That's your. Now they're ready, and guess what? That's your. Better make sure it's the Holy Ghost that is speaking through you. And what, I don't care what setting it is. I don't care who. It could be a loved one, a friend. You got to make sure it's the Holy Ghost that is. The worst thing, I'll give you an example for myself. The worst thing I could ever do as a pastor is come up here and preach frustrated. Come up here and preach angry. Come up here and preach because those can be the worst kind of mess. I'm just getting things off my chest. I just got something to say. You're going to hear because I've got you for the next 30 minutes. You're stuck. I'm going to tell you what I want to tell you. It's not about my word. I got to submit these things to prayer. I got to submit these things to fasting so that what comes out of this microphone is not the word of Jacob. It's the word of God because it's the word of God that is the word of life. And it's, oh, my God. And when it's spoken. spoken. Spoken in his season. Come on up, brother. I need to wrap this thing up. Praise God. When it's spoken in the right season, somebody will be ready to hear it. And I have found that when I trust in the Lord, when I wait on the Lord and speak things in the right season, you know what the spirit of God will do? Can I tell you? Someone say, tell me. The Holy Ghost will prepare the way. Oh, my God. God. The Holy Ghost will prepare the way. It will cultivate the ground. The Holy Ghost will prepare a way. So when the word gets spoken and when the advice gets delivered and whatever it is that you are trying to impart and deposit into that person's life, the Holy Ghost has already gone, God has gone before you and has prepared the heart of that person, oh my God, so that by the time that you begin to speak that word of life into them, by the time you start to deliver those hard truths of God. Their hearts have already been prepared. Oh, my Lord. How the, the ground has already been cultivated. Somebody give God some praise today. I'm over my time. I'm, I'm, I'm over my time. Let me give you the last one. You got to be slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. He says, he says, be slow. Let every man be slow to wrath. Slow to anger. If the first point is about trust, the second is about timing, then the third is about your temperance. He said, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I thought about this as I was meditating over these verses. I thought about what does anger have to do with any of this? Why? Why? Why mention anger? What does anger have to do with speaking the truth in love? Then I began to think, well, what is the the root cause of anger? What causes us to be angry? I thought about that more, and the more I considered it, and the more I began to look at some biblical examples, you see that anger is nothing but a natural reaction to pain or disappointment. Anger is but a natural reaction. I'm gonna help somebody right now. A natural, it's our natural reaction to pain or disappointment. Anger. First example of anger we see in the Bible is Cain. Huh? Cain was disappointed in himself, disappointed in the outcome. Angry. Huh? Instead of dealing with his brother, instead of taking the issue rightly with his brother. He killed them. Well, we may not be killing each other with our hands, but we can kill each other with our words. We can kill the situation. We can, we can prevent and we can delay things from, from progressing and getting better simply because in our anger and in our frustration, even if it's not over the person, it could just be over the situation. We're trying to fix it trying to correct it, trying to repair it. And we're angry about what is happening. And in many cases, there is an element of anger when speaking to somebody. We're angry at that person. We're angry at what they're doing. How could you you be so silly or foolish? We're angry about what's going on around us. And it seems that anger begins to manifest more and more. You go home and think about that. Anger begins to manifest more and more the more we feel we are less in control. The less control we feel we are of our situation, of that person, of what's going on, the angrier we tend to get. And it's okay to get angry. I'm not saying that we don't get angry. We will. The Bible says this. It says, be angry, but do not sin. But don't let the sun go down on your wrath. We will get angry at times, and we will feel maybe the wrath of man, but we've got to put it in God's hands. We cannot speak the truth in love if anger is in our hearts and we're trying to produce something that only God can do. He said, put that verse back up, the the, the verse of anger, the one before that, hallelujah. He said, be slow, stand with me if you can right now, hallelujah, hallelujah. He said, be slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's in our tendency to try to produce with our anger my God, with our frustration, the righteousness of God. I wonder if there's anybody here today that's trying to change the outcome of someone or something, and you're doing it through frustration. Oh, my Lord. Stay with me right now. Stay with me. Oh, I feel this right now the Holy Ghost. Stay with me right now. You're trying to solve it through frustration. You're attacking it, and you don't even, this happens unknowingly. I think this happens on a subconscious level. You don't even realize you're doing it, but it's your anger that's speaking. You're trying to grab for anything that'll get control of what you deem to be uncontrollable. And, and, And you just, this is where we've got to really trust in God. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. It's temperance. It's saying, all right, Lord, I don't like what's happening right here. I don't like how my loved one is thinking. I don't like how, you know, how things are going here. I, I don't like this. And, and, oh, Lord. But, God, I've got I'm, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to put this on the altar, and I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to allow you, God, in your time and in your season, Lord, to give me that word, to give me that counsel to give me those steps that I can take, God. But help me, God, not to move in anger. Woo, my Lord. Hallelujah. We can miss out on our promises by trying to solve things with anger and frustration. Talk to Moses. You know the reason why Moses didn't enter the Promised Land is because in one moment of testing, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock so that water would come. He 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 acted in his flesh. He acted out of his anger, and for that reason, God said, "Because you didn't speak to it. Because you didn't. Mm, you didn't use the method that I gave you, Moses. You acted in your flesh. Now you're not going to." into your promise. i come to tell somebody right now, can I just minister to somebody today? Whatever it is that you're trying to get control of, whatever it is you're trying, to, whoever it is you're trying to save from themselves, whatever it is you're trying to save, your marriage, your family, your loved one, your child, your situation at work, your ministry, whatever it is that you're trying to save, you're trying to improve. Let me tell you right now, the best thing that you can do is give it to God right now, the best thing that you can do is say, Lord, here it is. Lord, I entrust it to you. I don't know if there's somebody right now that's got a care in your life. You've been caring about somebody. But sometimes the best thing you can do is deliver that somebody to God and say, God, I'm giving them a given them over to you, Lord. I'm going to let you be God. I'm going to let you solve it. I'm going to let you work. I'm going to let you trust in you. I'm going to trust in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Is there somebody today that you need God to fix something in your life? You need God to move in your heart, move in your family. I invite you right there where you are, would you begin to close your eyes? Oh! feel the Holy Ghost moving. I know I took a little more time today, but that's all right. God wants you to know that he loves you. Even this message today was spoken in love. I didn't mean to offend you, but if I did, it was the Holy Ghost. I didn't mean to love I didn't mean to make you mad, but if I touched the nerve, if I rubbed you the wrong way, understand that it's the love of God that is trying to get a hold of your heart and save you.